is Waffle On Podcast. And welcome to Waffle On Podcast. This is Waffle On about Lovell and Hardy. Hello, Kel. Hello. How are you? I'm all right. I'm wet. Love a wet, as usual. Wet and damp. Yeah. Like a really good porn film, I presume. <laughs> <laughs> At least give it 15 minutes before we mention pornography. <laughs> Strange enough, you know, we haven't had anybody ask us if we're going to do any classic 70s British porn. Let's right. it. It would be terrible. <laughs> And let me get it. The clips. <laughs> It'd be very hard. I love the way that you concentrated on saying oh, that yes. word, really. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, welcome to the... Uh, this is January 2011. This is the brand new updated Waffle On. And uh, thank you to Sue Kissenmother, who's, uh, who's done some uh, lovely little clips for us. And you'll see them segmented throughout the show. Um, you'll notice a nice little theme going on now. We've got a brand new Waffle On thing coming on soon. But uh, we're going to use some different ones just to entertain you. Uh, good listeners. So, uh, well, let's get on with the show. Jeez, get on with the housekeeping already. We've got a Facebook page and we've got 134 listeners. Can you believe it? Well, no, we've got 134 Facebook members. Yeah. We've got thousands more listeners. <laughs> no, on Facebook. I'm oh, saying yeah, 134 yeah, listeners yeah. on Facebook. We did have, as you keep saying, we had 135. We did. But someone keeps leaving and then rejoining and then leaving. I don't know. I'm not that offended, surely. Maybe they're just teasing us. Maybe they're like, am I here? Am I not? Am I here? Am Maybe I it's not? David Frost. <laughs> hey, it could, it could well be. He <laughs> comes in. Damn, you didn't mention <laughs> us on this show. <laughs> so please join us and type in Waffle on Podcast in the search bar and... I even go on there these days. It is true, you've had... You've had I have talked to a few people on there. I have, that's my New Year's resolution. Is to, is to make an thing. effort and speak to people who listen to me. Yeah. <laughs> I realise that. that. How kind of you. I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also have a, a Twitter well I have a Twitter account uh, you can find me under the name Hawkeye Meds in fact uh, that's my um, tag uh, tag uh, that's my name on any other uh, forums and I'm on a plenty I must admit uh, Podbean of course you can always uh, leave us uh, any information that you want to on our uh, Podbean account and, uh, and also all our episodes are on iTunes and Zoom Zoom yes Zoom I don't even know what that is but you wrote it down so I don't know what it is <laughs> yes. well Zoom is uh, you can uh, download stuff it's almost like the TV version on Xbox um, I've had a double I think if you've got like um, Apple you know Apple TVs that are out oh, and yeah, about yeah. nowadays I know uh, Dan from Scuttercast has got an Apple TV apparently it's supposed to be brilliant because you can download all of your music DVDs films and everything onto your Apple TV and you don't even have to leave the cow what is this what is this magic you talk of it's called getting fat that's what it is it <laughs> saves the exercise from walking up God, and down unless of course you live in a bungalow or one, a one floor at her apartment or house which of course would be even ideal because then you could have it on, on like wheels you could just wheel yourself around I don't know what I'm thinking of that for. Absolutely. Yeah, as uh, as Cal uh, Cal said, we do now have 
So we do know. We all our episodes are available on iTunes and Zoom. Um, this will be our 34th episode, I think. It could be the 35th. Well, I mean, we've got 35 episodes. And, of course, Waffle On is two years old today. Woohoo! Woohoo! Where's my cake? There's much rejoicing. Yay! Hey. Hey. <laughs> Lots of <python> gag. <laughs> and uh, on our Podbean account, of course, we have a donate page, uh, donate button, if you feel like pressing that. Uh, what do you know? Donate uh, butter. <laughs> donate butter. Please do. Last time in Paris. We are never doing that film. <laughs> no. No, because there'd be a good clip. Ooh. <laughs> Where's the butter? And ironically, the next thing I'm going to say is, let's crack on. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, spoof. Anyway, so uh, yes, let's indeed. Let's indeed crack on about waffling about Lauren Hardy. And Cal, what do we always like to do to start off the show? Play the theme tune. Well, a theme tune. A theme tune, yeah. Now, uh, Lauren Hardy are uh, most well known for um, their song, The Cuckoo Song, or The Cuckoo, or The Dance of the Cuckoos. This was composed by Hal Roach's musical director, Marvin Hatley, uh, and it used to be the on-air chime for the Roach Studios uh, radio station. Now, Lowell heard this theme tune on the stage and asked Hatley uh, if they could use it for the theme tune. Now, I do believe, actually, Oliver Hardy bought the rights for this theme tune later on. Now, when I went to search for the... um, uh, the, the theme tune and because I've got the box set at home I've got all the Lauren Hardy films and sometimes it's just better just to, just to type it in and try and get hold of it there's so many different versions of it and you know the one that I remember the one that's always stuck mm. in my head is the cartoon version it, not that's the what it's well known from yeah, more yes. than the films yeah, isn't it exactly. it is the cartoon uh, but what we are going to play is the uh, uh, the original theme tune so it's a bit crackly because it's obviously it's off like an old recording uh, so here is the dance of the cuckoos ladies and gentlemen this is again Laurel and Hardy in two parts. Will you shut up? You've done enough damage. What damage? You left our tickets behind in America. Now we've got to swim back. How far is it? No, oh, it's only 3,000 miles. Well, that's not bad. It's only 1,500 miles each. You wait till I introduce the orchestra and I'll take care of you. Ladies and gentlemen, we leave behind a musical memory, a dance version of our theme song, which we hope you will enjoy. The Dance of the Cuckoos. Goodbye.
Now, Lone Hardy is um, probably, uh, it is a cool little tune. Uh, didn't we have that as a ringtone on our phone once, I think? Oh, yeah, because it's been an ongoing thing, the Lone Hardy, hasn't it? One of the, the most well-known songs for Lone Hardy, of course, is Trial of the Lonesome Pine, which is from what film? Yeah, Way Out West. Yeah, no, yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. It's one of these things that you know it really well, but all the films, because as we might talk later, a lot of the films were pretty similar. And I can't think, I could never remember. Yeah, it's Trailer of the Lonesome Pine, that is that, that's the one. They got to number one, didn't it? It got to number two. It number came two. Out in 1975, and the B side to that was. Uh, I don't know. Hallelujah, baby. Which I wasn't them. I love Hallelujah, baby. It wasn't them, it wasn't them singing it. It was uh, the camp, uh, almost sailor guy who does it in the club. That was the record that came out in 75, yeah, but uh, uh, we'll be playing that, of course, at the very end of the show after the promos. It's a bit of an incentive there for you to listen to the people who we promote, because they are fabulous. Um, so we might as well... Now, we should point out on this, um, this podcast that we're not going to talk about all their films because it would be impossible. And we'd be here next week. <laughs> we would be, and week. we'd probably bore ourselves, let alone yeah. you. Um, but, of course, there's, there's bound to be... Uh, uh, well, I'd be very surprised if there isn't a dedicated Low and Hardy podcast. There must, there. surely, there, there must. And, you know, if I, if I was actually as professional as I hope I am, you think I'd research that. <laughs> Because I know there's a fa- the fan club Sons of the Desert, isn't it? It's a side too. Yes, yeah, there is. And there's also, of course, uh, Daughters of the Desert as well. Is that? Well, to be fair, it's both. Somebody asked that on the thing. Because I did go on the official Law and Hardy website to try and get extra info, or to write this yeah. and anything. And uh, yeah, Sons of the Desert is one of the biggest um, fan clubs out there for any over anything over homes uh, and over something like that uh, from all the way around the world because it is literally like a, a collective, you know. I'm surprised you didn't join that. I don't, I don't know, I'm one of these people, I don't like being members of anything, I like to like it myself. You like your own member? Yeah. Okay. See, I might even go in there, well, eventually. I wouldn't. But, no, I just, um, I don't know, I like things, I don't need to be, I don't need to join a group, that, mm. that's really bad really for these people who listen to this, but I don't need to join a group to say I like something, I've liked Leonardo forever, and mm. you have, yeah. but there you go, we'll talk about that as we go on. But, but you, no, were, you was a member of the Ventigos group? I was, but uh, that's what peed me off, I think, mm. because they used to send me um, a seven-inch single of the theme tune every year, well, then stopped, and I paid to redo my membership, and then it went bust, and I couldn't get my money back. Uh, and I bet it was only something like £2.50. It right? was, but that's it, so and I And you've never let it lie, have you? No, I haven't. It's a, bit like, sort of Sam. it's a bit like the food van that comes to work. Yeah, they let you down on those, those yeah, sausage rolls now for so much that you refuse to go. You sure? You know, like the way the son of Sam was killed people because of the dog next door called Sam. Yeah. So we, that's like me. <laughs> that's it, I don't forget. I'm not, I'm, that's how I'm going around shooting people, but I mean, uh, Or because of the Rentigo 7 Or because yeah. of Rentigo 7 inch. There you go. So, uh, Stan Lovell, uh, born Arthur Stanley Jefferson on the 16th of June 1890 in Ulverston in England. He uh, passed away on the 23rd of February 1965 in Santa Monica. So, let's have a little bit of history about uh, Stan Lovell and we can uh, say what we think of him. Uh, he was a uh, son of a British showman. Stan Lovell was raised in the British music halls and in 1910 made his first trip to America as a member of the Fred Carno musical comedy troupe, which also included. Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. Uh, Lowell stayed in the United States touring in vaudeville and landed an occasional movie job. Uh, I think he was also understudy for Charlie Chaplin in quite a few things. It, it was a bit, yeah, they had a, the very, um, it was a very uh, kind of symbiotic relationship between them. They were very, very similar people, mm. very mm. similar parts. 
he was his understood well he sort of was his understood mm. but I think people always knew what was going to happen yeah exactly and in the film Chaplin uh, the brilliant film I'm uh, a massive fan of yeah, it yeah as obviously we know Robert Downey Jr. played Chaplin but the actor who played Stan Lowell in that name I can't remember but he was in Guy Man that's Game it with Samantha Jainus and all oh, the other bloke who was actually on who was uh, brilliant who was brilliant but didn't do anything after that no he was on Celebrity Masterchef he played Chef, an agoraphobic in that wasn't yeah, he congratulations yeah. he's a really strange bloke in real life you know it takes itself a little bit too seriously, that chat. Oh, it's a light or not. Yeah. It it was, that was a brilliant series, that was, I We will do a podcast on that. Mm. I love Game Man. Um, in 1961, uh, Lowell was given a Lifetime Achievement Academy Award for his pioneering work in comedy. Uh, I normally associate the Lifetime Achievement Award is because nine times out of ten, people don't see true talent. Uh, we're now in their height. No. Uh, they just go for commercialism. So they give him a Lifetime Perfect example of that. Charlie Chaplin. Like Charlie that. Chaplin. Oh, what he's talked about in the film Chaplin isn't it they give him that thing and luckily for him he was still alive but why they never give it to him when he was like 50 or 60 mm. how he'd invented the cinema industry in America and I know there's people who are as important like Fatty Arbuckle and all and that Keaton. But when, and Buster Keaton but when he comes down to it the first true superstar of comedy was Charlie Chaplin well just because show the amount of women he uh, married Oh, yeah. Yeah, Stan Lowell, once he achieved his life of drink of being a comedian, of course, he'd, uh, uh, he lived his final years in a small apartment in the Oceana Hotel in Santa Monica. Now, he was always gracious to his fans, and he spent much of his time answering fan mail, something that doesn't happen these yeah, days. Right. His phone number was listed in the telephone directory, so you could actually phone him up and have a chat to him. That's amazing, it's isn't it? Is it? Well, of course, you know, there, there you go. And uh, Jerry Lewis was among the comedians to visit Lowell, who offered suggestions for Lewis, uh, Lewis's production of The Bellboy in 1960. Um, and uh, he paid tribute to Lowell by naming his main character Stanley in the film and having Bill Richmond play a version of Lowell as well. Um, Stan Lowell, uh, he's a fabulous uh, comedian. Of course, we have that association, of course, because he was English, well, British. Um, for me, I have that little connection to him that my nan. This is true. She uh, works with. No, uh, I've got to try and get this right. It was his brother or his uncle. I seem to remember it was his brother. Could be wrong. Owned a, uh, a a range of hair salons, and my nan worked with him. That that, that is pretty girl. special. That is that yeah. is really good. Yeah, I think I think it was either the brother or the uncle, one or two. But yeah, that was always a something my nan always used to tell me because I used to watch the whole Hardy when I was a kid. Uh, important to you, Stan Lowell? Very important. It, it what always got me right is in the if you watch the scene, which sums up Stan Lowell. If you watch the scene with Trial of the Lonesome Pine. Mm. You watch how serious his face is in that. Mm. How he's being very, very professional, but still looking really silly. Yeah. And that's Stan Laurel all over. Very silly, played the, played the fool, mm. blood, but a very clever man, a uh, bloody, very controlling person of his products. Professional controlling, yeah. That's what I don't mean controlling in Howard Hughes. Mm. I'm talking... <laughs> But, you know, professionally, he was... And you watch his face when he's... I, I, I was watching it again over Christmas, and I stopped the bit, because you watch his face. How serious... I know this doesn't mean nothing to a lot of people. No, no, no. I know this thing, because you like things like this. But, yeah. Yeah. but you just watch how serious hmm. uh, he's thinking about it. You can see he's thinking about him. Hmm. He's thinking about Oliver Hardy. Hmm. He's thinking where the camera is. He's thinking of the, the people doing the singing. You can see he's thinking about everything, yeah. while still making it funner. Well, this, I mean, we'll probably bring... Uh, I think this is a little bit later on in our pointer script, but I uh, might as well mention it while you while you're yeah, talking yeah. about that the reason why he's like that was of course when he when he went over to America he actually stopped being an actor and concentrated on writing and directing so he's very very experienced in directing so when you, when you say like oh you can see him being serious he's being serious because he's got that di- although he's not directing 
He's got that director's hat exactly. on. Exactly. He did actually direct quite a few Oliver Hardy things a bit later on. But he's always, as you say, he's always a consummate professional. Uh, and, and I think when, when you're doing silent comedy, it's very important to do that because you can get away with an awful lot when you're doing, you're doing talkies because you can, you, know, you can use voice to, to sort of like compensate. You know, interestingly, you talk about that. was um, Charlie Chaplin hated talkies because mm. he said it takes the skill away from acting. Once you speak... People are listening to the words and not watching the actor. Yeah. He said, as soon and if there's a really famous City Lights, if you see the film called City Lights, Chaplin, at the beginning, that's a silent, but at the beginning, it's got someone talking, one person, and the way he does it, they have them blowing a kazoo, and that's oh, the only yeah. thing, and that's why he thought of singing, of speaking. He thought, you don't need speaking. Mm. You can, if you're a good actor, you can act pathos, you can do everything with your face. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of my favourite comedies is The Pain. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, and and I think there's there's four others, isn't it? Done by Eric Sykes, Tommy Cooper. We uh, did a few of them. Yeah, yeah. a few of them, and you know, those uh, those are brilliant because they're silent. They're made in the I think the late sixties, early seventies, uh, might even been earlier than that. Um, and you can buy them actually. All all as a collection on DVD. Oh. There, which you might might get a hold of, and they're brilliant. But they are silent apart from the one where it's just rhubarb, isn't it? Rhubarb. rhubarb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rhubarb. Um, Oliver Hardy. Okay, Oliver Hardy was born Norval Hardy on the eighteenth of January. 1892 in Harlem, Georgia, and he died on the 7th of August 1957 in North Hollywood. Uh, Oliver Hardy had been destined for a military career but opened a movie theatre in Georgia. Uh, he next found work as an actor in uh, Jacksonville, Florida, home of the Lubin Film Company. Hardy later moved to Hollywood and by the mid-1920s he was working as an all-purpose comic at the Hal Roach studio. Uh, so of course both Stan and Lowell did individual films before they met each other um, it was actually an accident um, that got them two together I think uh, Oliver Hardy hurt himself and this is the reason why Stan Lowell came in uh, in 2006 I don't know if you saw this um, BBC4 showed a drama called Stan uh, based on uh, Stan Lowell meeting Oliver Hardy yeah. on his deathbed did you not see this uh, and he was uh, reminiscing about their career although uh, based on fact he took great liberties with both the events and the main characters um, now this was this was brilliant, and I caught this by accident. And it was basically Oliver Hardy, and he didn't say a word in it because when uh, Oliver Hardy had his heart attack, his later heart attack, he went into um, almost like he couldn't speak, he was no. like a coma. And uh, Stan Lowell obviously did visit him. And in this version of it, Stan sits there and talks about their whole career. And it's just, it's just virtually to play. I think it was based on the play. And they're reminiscing, they're talking about, mainly talking about their many wives. I mean, Stan Lowell, and I'll talk about his he, he had, uh, it's in the fact section, which I think you might like. He married the same woman a few times. It seems to be weird. Um, and he's brilliant. And, the, and do you know who played Stan Lowell in that? Oh. Now, I can't remember the actor's name, but he played Bishop Brennan in Father Ted. Oh, oh, he's a really yeah. yeah. He was on that Father Ted thing, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, we'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In our news things. <coughs> um, uh, apparently, when uh, Oliver Hardy uh, died, uh, and I think it's just, people say, "Oh, this must be terrible." I think it's very honest. Uh, Stan Lowell couldn't bring himself to go uh, to his friend's funeral, and I can understand that actually. I, I, I know it's not really the subject; <laughs> it's a comedy one, but in the same way, uh, two years ago, my nan died. And my mum, she said, oh, she's going to be, she's on a deathbed. She's going to die tonight. Do you want to come and, do you want to come and say, Tara? I said no. Mm-hmm. Tara, that's goodbye anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I give it to American people. Um, say goodbye. I didn't, because I wanted to remember her 
Mm. How I remember as a kid, mm-hmm. not the last thing you see is someone dying in bed. Yeah, no, so I can understand exactly what he means. Yeah, no, it, it, funny enough, uh, I mean, my nan died, if you remember. In, 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 this is cheery, yeah, cheery. <laughs> uh, actually, strange thing is, my mum actually said the same thing to me when my nan died. She turned around and said, Do you want to go and see your nan? I went, No, I'd rather remember as the, the big person. Now, the, I think it was also a statement, well, the reason why he also didn't go. Uh, he did state in his statement that Babe would understand. Obviously, Oliver Hardy was known to Babe, as Babe to all his friends. I think it was also the fact that they were comedy partners together for such a long time. To go to his funeral was almost def- it's almost definitely saying goodbye, but it's also the media attention oh. would be all on Stan Lowell and not remembering yeah. Oli Hardy. It's true, you know. it's true. He didn't have to prove anything to anyone. It, mm. You know, there'd been friends and colleagues for you know, 30, 30 years or 20, 30 years. What's going saying goodbye? You don't know. No, no. Uh, anyway, anyway. Yeah. Uh, including guest appearances, Lowell and Hardy made 106 films together, but this number does not include the films in which Lowell directed Hardy, newsreels, home movies, or TV. Things. That's an awful lot. Of, they did a TV series, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Uh, in 1955, Lowell and Hardy made their final public appearance together, taking part in a BBC television program about the Grand Order of Water Rats. <laughs> Oh, yeah. uh, the British Variety Organisation told this this is Music Hall and Nolan Hardy provide a filmed insert during which they reminisce about their friends in British Variety uh, they made their final appearance on camera in 1956 in a home movie titled One Moment Please the film was shot by a family friend at Stan's home it is without audio and lasts only three minutes um, they obviously first came about doing shorts well, most of their stuff is shorts, really, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Even the feet, you know, they talk about the feature films. Even the feature films are only about an hour and hour and, hour and ten minutes mm, at most. Yeah. So, you know, I was surprised when I watched Way Out West over Christmas, I watched it, and thinking, it's under an hour. Yeah. And as a kid, I thought, oh, it's really long. It's really long. What yes, we were yeah. talking about today, how yeah, time yeah. changes yeah. as you get older. Yeah, it's like I was saying about the Jungle Book. I thought the Jungle Book <coughs> was on for a good 90 odd minutes, and I was so surprised when it, when it ended quickly. Uh, the the Lowell and Hardy shorts lasted from 1921 to 1929. Actually, uh, not yet as a team. Uh, Lowell and Hardy's first appeared together in the independent film The Lucky Dog. Uh, which we now believe was shot apparently in, uh, in early 1921. It's crazy going back 1921. Oh. Yes, it's nearly a hundred years ago. Well, 90 years ago. Yeah. It's shocking when you think of it like that, isn't it? It is. But it's, still, it's, still, it's still amazing that it's, you know, you know, I know we'll probably talk about this as we're going on, but we're still talking about it. We still think it's relevant to do a podcast about someone who's 90, doing things 90 years ago. Because you wouldn't do it about Fatty Arbuckle or. Mm. You know, George Foreman, not George, like I said, George, 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 George Foreman. Foreman. Yeah. George Foreman, you know, said he, George Foreman, <laughs> you wouldn't think about doing it on George Foreman. No, no. You know, we did Norman Wisdom, what, 20 minutes? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. That's, that's amazing it is amazing really yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, one of their first films they did together which seemed to blossom them was actually Doc Soup uh, which is also obviously a bad thing they, they actually said that they're, they're, the few of those actually regressed pretty badly after those um, you know I'm sure they were just finding their, their, their um, stance in comedy at that point um both Stan Lowell and Howard Roach side Putting Pants on Philip 1927 as the first Lowell and Hardy film. The second 100 years, uh, same in 1927, was promoted as the first official Lowell and Hardy release, but the film was actually produced and sold as part of the Hal Roach All-Star series. It was not until Should Married Men Go Home in 28 that the studio officially branded their pictures as Lowell and Hardy serials. Ah. What do you think about their costume together? It's a strange question, I know, but... <coughs> 
There's so many different... Like, when you think of Lowell and Hardy, you do automatically think of them in their bowler hats. But they're ill-fat. They wore loads jacket. of different things, isn't yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a famous one. There's one where they play the gypsies. Mm. There's one where they're Fizzing in the army. Fizz and eight. Yeah, there's loads of... But you do think, Clark, mm. their bowler hat and it all fit in suits. Yeah, they're raggedy tramp kites. Like tramps? Well, have you noticed, though, that, that with all these silent stuff, um, there's always a feeling of... Um, the character's always been lost, homeless, do you know what? Do you want to know why? I Go don't on. know this. It's all to do with the... De- it was to do with the depression that uh, Charlie Chaplin um, realised that people wanted to... Most people were poor. Mm. So the support... So he said, he, the way to make a hero is you make him the poor man. And if you see the most villain in most of them are the rich people. Mm. So, at the monocle. so the studios all did it, and that's why it, very rarely, I think the only one you could probably uh, um, no even like stuff like Abbott Costello, which he was a poor man's Leonardo. <laughs> even they would like they always play poor or destitute. Mm. Will Hay, my also of a favourite star, mm. he was always. I don't know. big in America. I'm not too I sure. So. I don't like Abbott Costello. I do, I like the horror ones, but that's a different thing. But we're not going to talk about that. No, no, no. But uh, yeah, and that's all it was, really. It was that, that, was, the, that was the man, mm. the, you know, that was the hero at the time, was the wandering man who'd go and walk 100 miles to go and put food on the table for his yeah, family. Yeah. And that's, that, that's all it was. That's why the tramp was made by Charlie Chaplin. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we've long hard him, you know, they've got the bowler hats. Everything you see, whether it be little statues, miniatures, posters, uh, silhouettes. Yeah. You see the silhouette of Lowell Hardy, it's, it's straight away you know who they are. You know, and I think that's one great bit of branding, but also another great idea of. Uh, I presume it's done like Hollywood. It must have been. It must have been really. Like I said, I think he could drive and think about his image. Oh, yeah. and think that, no. uh, From 1929 to 1935, uh, uh, Lauren Hardy produced the talk in shorts. And unlike many other silent film actors, Stan Lauren Hardy adapted with ease to talking in movies, um, practically paying no attention to this new component of their work. Uh, happily, their voices match their screen personalities. Of course, that would have been an absolute nightmare when you think about it. I mean, they are blessed with the fact that Stan Lauren was able to do that high-pitched wine voice, which, of course, was but, not like his normal voice well no and, and, and I think and, and even though most of the gags in Lauren Hardy are visual mm. there's loads of verbal gags mm. loads of and, and I think that's what makes it to me I like the falling over yeah. and all that but it is and, and the way Laura and you know Laura always gets it wrong yeah and that's a big part of it and you know you can't imagine it without that now you yeah. can't imagine I think, there's like, I think there's only one film in which all the roles actually get reversed on one I think um, and I, I think I wrote it down on here but uh, I can't quite remember but yeah their voices do and I was always I don't know how you're going to laugh at this because you always say you always mention hair but oh, his hair there's a brilliant photograph I don't know if we'll no we can't use it as the, the uh, podcast short because it's only of uh, Stan Lowell but the picture of him his hair he's about 6-7 inches up in do a minute you, hey, do you want to know a fact about this John Lydon got his spiky hair from uh, Stan, from Stan Lowell. Lowell yeah really yeah I heard a fact, now I don't think this is true, that the reason why he had such spiky hair was because he got electrocuted. That's not true. No, he's a, he's a, <laughs> he was, um, you know, I do, I know, I do, I know this because, funny, because I read it, it was in the Sex Pistols book, he talks oh, about okay. it, that he took his hat off yeah. and his hair stuck up. And he got a laugh. And he, and he got a laugh, ah, so he left right. it. Oh, right. So there you go, the first punk. So Stan Laurel. Stan Laurel. It's true. You know, there were many people with spiky hair around that in the <laughs> 1920s. No, no. And that's no, what no. it was. But... Uh, 
Now, this is when we start to break out into their feature films, which people uh, mainly associate themselves. Uh, 31 to 40 with Hal Roach. Uh, as the economics of motion picture ex- uh, exhibited change in the 1930s, Hal Roach needed to produce feature-length vehicles for Lola and Hardy. Film goers then were now treated to Way Out West, Blockheads, Sons of the Desert, among their best films. Uh, after Saps at Sea in 1940, Lon Hardy left the Hal Roach Studios and signed his probably with their downfall with major studios 20th Century Fox and MGM from 41 to 45. They then made eight feature films, six for Fox and two for MGM. In 51, Lon Hardy made their final appearance together in the disastrous Utopia, a.k.a. A Toll K. Now, uh, here's a list of some of their, uh, which I, this is only my personal opinion, of uh, their greatest films. Uh, 31, we saw Pardon Us, 1933, Sons of the Desert, which which really, is seen really is the best yeah, the that, best yeah, line um, it's got it's got a bit of it it's got all of their acting that hasn't it mm. it's got the verbal it's got the falling over yeah. it's got the getting things wrong you know it's got it's, the it's, laughing yeah, it's all the ingredients it's got a bit, a bit yeah, of it but yeah. eating the fruit in 1934 we had the film March of the Wooden Soldiers which is also known as Babes in Toyland Course, uh-huh. uh, 1938 was Blackheads. 1937 was what we think I think I can say it's for you their best film they ever made which was Way Out West uh, there's a scene in that apart from the jealousy thing that me and you think is the best Lauren Hardy scene ever and it's only a all that's in it and that's the the laughing the laughing scene it, which, it is a, it is a, he's laughing do you want to explain what it is and then we'll play the clip well, well basically it's all to do with I don't want to go into the, the whole story. No, 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 Basically, he's trying to hide a deed from a woman. Mm. So he puts it in his shirt, and she gets it out by tickling him. And he laughs, and the laugh that he gives out, it is, it's like a maniac's laugh, isn't it? Mm. It is so... Oh, it's it's well, like you think, how can you put that on? Do you think, it's, so, do you think it's natural? Do you think that's a... Uh, na- do you think, because I... I said honestly, to, it's I, amazing how he does it. Well, we watched this last night, uh, when I was getting the clips, and I, I said to Natalie, I turned around and said, said Nat, you've got to watch this, because just watch Stan Lovell, the ultimate professional. But when she's tickling him, trying to get it, I'm sure he's cracking up, because she's desperately trying to keep a straight face. Yeah. Well, if you look hard... She's laughing every now and again, and the camera cuts away to Ollie Hardy. And I honestly do believe, and you can't, whatever you say, if you're showing somebody laughing on screen, it's, it's infectious. That's the great thing yeah. about comedy, and that's the great thing about laughter, is that it is infectious. If you can't laugh with other people, then there's something seriously wrong with you. Yeah. Uh, I, I just like the bit, I like the bit as well. When he, la- when he, when he laughs, he's laughing for ages, she gets it out, <laughs> and he stops. And she and he gets it back and he puts it and he tries to put it in again, yeah, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Until he wants it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the Pretty thing. There's yeah. a bit of a bit of a sexual element there. There is a little bit. Yeah. There really is. You know, I know people didn't look. You know, didn't look at it like. That. <laughs> but when you look at it, it's a teasingness of it, isn't it? Classic style. No. Uh, so anyway, let's play that clip.
Um, so that's that clip, which is in absolutely <laughs> it's infectious, isn't it? It's, it, it's, it's one of the yeah, things right. I've must have. I can't. How many times I've saw Wyatt West? Yeah, uh, hundreds, and it still makes me laugh. Obviously, you're not guffawing all the way through it now because no, you know no, it too. You know the big setups are in there, aren't they? Yeah. But that bit. It's just have that whole scene before it where ha ha hee hee ho ho I love that which is is actually on the cliff yeah it's just a brilliant it's just a brilliant bit because I love the Scottish bloke oh wow more about him yeah he's wicked Uh, no most of the Lauren Hardy films do survive and have uh, never gone out of circulation permanently three of their 106 films are considered lost as they have not been seen in full since the 1930s the silent hats off in 27 has vanished completely the first half of Now I'll Tell You in 1927 is lost, and the second half yet, is yet to be released on video. Strange, so it's probably not. Must check that out because I think it's on the DVD that I got. Um, in the, in the uh, telecomer musical The Rogue Song, Lauren Hardy appeared in 10 sequences, only one of which is known to exist. Two other films have missing content, although they aren't considered lost, and that's Duck Soup in 27, uh, was considered lost uh, until a print was discovered in the mid 1970s. This print uh, appears to be... I'm going to read that again. That doesn't make sense at all. Yeah, yeah. Let's try again. Okay, so most of the Lauren Hardy films have survived, uh, which is amazing when you think about the fact that BBC wiped all the time to Doctor Who. Yeah, stuff from the 1920s can survive. You're going to mention the BBC later. Let's oh, not go into no, no, the no, BBC. No, no. Uh, <laughs> three of their uh, 106 films are actually considered lost, though, um, uh, although cause they haven't been seen since the 1930s. The Solomon Hats Off is, has vanished completely. The first half of Now I'll Tell You is lost. Uh, and the um, the song, uh, sorry, the film, the Rogue song, uh, they appeared in ten sequences, and only one is known to exist. Um, supporting cast, their cast is brilliant. Um, so here's the, the main supporting casts: uh, Harry Bernard played bit parts as waiters, bartenders, and cops. May Bush, I think I've said, I hope said the name, played a formidable Mrs. Hardy and uh, some other characters. Baldwin Cook played uh, bit parts as waiters, bartenders, and cops as well. Um, this next character I'm going to talk about now, I know that you really like, is James Henderson, known as Jimmy Finlayson. He's uh, wicked. Uh, born August twenty seventh, eighteen eighty seven, uh, and died October nineteen fifty three. He was a Scottish actor who worked in both silent and sound comedies. He was bald with a fake moustache was it a fake moustache <laughs> uh, Finlayson had many trademark comic mannerisms and he's famous for his squinting outrage double take and of course dough that's where that comes from because he uses it all the while doesn't yeah. he he's got some of the best double takes that he does doesn't he mm-hmm. can't, can't but he, he does some amazing stuff especially when he's like you know the bit with the um, in Way Out West where he's um, getting the leather for his shoe <laughs> and he's watching him yeah ooh, ooh. <laughs> and of course who, who copied that Homer Simpson, that's where it, I think they admit they got that from that. Oh, you know, Dan Castellanto has turned around and said, in fact, actually, he took it for the pilot of The Simpsons, where he does say, yeah. but then deemed it too long, so that's when they cut it down to the word do. You know what? He once knocked himself out by putting too much effort into a double take. <laughs> Is, that don't surprise me, because of the most over the top double takes. But they are brilliant. Mm. But I can't believe it's a false moustache. I know, yeah. There you go. Bloody, he's amazing. <laughs> he's really good because he's in most of them, wasn't he? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, other people here: uh, Anita Garvin was a member of Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Lowell. Billy Gilbert made many appearances, most notably in the classic The Music Box, which we'll talk about yeah, in a yeah. bit. Uh, Charlie Hall. Now he played angry little men and appeared in over fifty times. He was born August nineteenth, eighteen ninety nine. Passed away the seventeenth, nineteen fifty nine. Where was he born, Cal? But the way you're saying that, it's going to be somewhere localish. 
Was he born in Bromsgrove? No, he was born in Birmingham, my friend. Oh, I thought he was going to be Bromsgrove. <laughs> uh, yeah, in fact, he learned carpentry as a child. As a teenager, he became a member of the course, the Fred Carnot Troop, uh, which is, of course, where they all come from. There's a public house in Erdington, in Birmingham, uh, called the Charlie Hall. Is it? I bet you very nice. <laughs> it's a Weatherspoon. <laughs> There was also a fellow um, uh, extras in here, was Gene Harlow, who played the blonde bombshell, and had a small role in his shirt, Double Whoopi. Uh, Arthur Houseman, uh, he always played uh, a comic drunk, Egg Kennedy, um, master of the slow burn, often appeared as a cop or hostile neighbour or relative. And there's quite a few, Ben Turpin, I oh, know, Ben Turpin. He's something for you. The cross-eyed actor. Yeah. Uh, made two memorable appearances. Turpin's left eye was actually normal. <laughs> he did that on purpose. <laughs> did he? Yeah. Hey. Well, he just crossed his eyes, didn't he, when it oh. was time to film. So I've got some facts for you now, because I know you like your facts. I do like facts. You do like your facts, don't you? Uh, now, what's their... Um, their well, Ali Bahadi's famous catchphrase. Uh, it's another fine mess you got me into. No, you're wrong. Is it one of them ones that you never said it? And you never say that, that. Everyone says it wrong. It's actually he's a clip. Well, here's another nice mess you've got me into. Hmm. It's actually. What have you just heard? There's another nice mess. Is that? You've got me into. That's that's weird. That is. But you know the reason why people think it's because their their comedy was actually another fine mess, and that's why people mainly think it. That, that it is like beaming up Scotty, that is. He yeah. just assumed that it's true, didn't you? Yep. Yeah. Uh, Lauren Hardy were featured alongside many other celebrities in the cutout form on the cover of which Beatles album? Uh, it's uh, Sgt. Pepper's. Yep. Lonely Hearts Club. Yeah. Uh, Stan and Ollie actually reshot some of their films uh, and extra takes in foreign languages straight after filming them in English. That's why, remember my calendar at work, which had the classic Ford cars from the Lauren Hardy film? Yeah. It'll have the main picture, and there's another picture underneath it featuring probably another actress. They learnt their lines in uh, Spanish, French, and That's German. That's amazing, isn't it? Not, not so that they could actually go, but they learnt, learnt it phonetically. Phonetically, so yeah, they knew. So they could say it, yeah. Now, who would do that now? They didn't do it, they only did that for a year, because obviously the amount of time it would have taken to actually do that. Uh, but that you, is You can't imagine Seth Rogen doing like super bad right let's do it Mexican or let's do it it just wouldn't happen would it no um, this is the thing I was talking about with uh, Stan Lovell's mate and I've got to read this because it is a little bit complicated okay at one point Stan Lovell had married his first wife once his second wife twice and his third wife three times what one two three then he spoiled that arrhythmic progression but created a different symmetry he went back and married his second wife a third time and concluded by marrying his fourth wife once one, three, three, one. <laughs> so where was he with when he died? Which... I have no idea. It's too complicated <laughs> for me to go back and look up. Uh, by the time they produced their first true Lion Hardy film, Ollie was already 35 and what? Stan was 37. Same age as us. Yeah, because that's the one thing you do notice when you watch Lion Hardy films. You watch them age, don't you? Mm, yeah. You really you do, do yeah, don't you? Yeah, you really yeah. do, because it's not like they're in the 20s. Because you some of them that look really old by the end, don't they? Mm, yeah, grey and grey, yeah. And obviously, of course, Oliver Hardy lost a hell of a lot of weight. But when he lost a lot of weight, they didn't get many bookings because people didn't recognise him, which you found quite upsetting. With, really. Yeah, well, that's what happens. It becomes your trademark, right, exactly, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, here's a little nice fact here from Alan Joyce for Tales of the Mouse House. Uh, a monkey plays the role of Mickey Mouse in Babes in Toyland, one of the few times you are likely to see an appearance by a Disney character in a non-Disney film. Walt Disney himself was a Laurel and Hardy fan as well as close friend to Hal Roach. Well, it comes down to it. Everyone loves Woody Laurel and Hardy, didn't they? Oh, yeah. Even... Uh, Stan was instrumental in the career of the young Marcel Marcel. 
Was he? Yes. After seeing myself perform in Paris in 1950, yeah. Stan praised him that... as an unsung genius and helped him gain attention in the French it, press. It makes sense, that does. It makes sense. In the 1925 silent version film of The Wizard of Oz, who did Oliver Hardy play? To play the lion? No. Didn't I? That's what I assume he'd play the lion. Yeah, I thought you would. Who, what, who did he play? Tin Man. Did he? You'd think he'd play the lion, wouldn't you? Yep. Interesting, isn't it? I don't... I, I really haven't saw that. This is this thing, what we were on about, that... that They've got all this stuff that they could put on the TV, and you never see anything of like with well, Lauren. You don't see anything on our TV anymore, do you? No. Can you think that's something Lauren Hardy on British TV? Ooh. What, when no, we were kids? When we were kids. Man, I think it was something on BBC Two, wasn't it? Not long ago, I think. Although I could be. Mm. I you could might be. see the music box every now and every now and then after years. No, no. Mm. Okay, uh, names of actors who appear in Lauren Hardy films. You like these? Go on then. Gene Harlow. Gene Harlow. Robert Mitchum. Gene Harlow. What, jeans were named after her, do you know that? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. nice fact. She was the first person to wear denim. Double fact of the day. And that's why it's called Gene. Why did you think it was called Gene? There you go. Oh, right. There you go. That's that's, that's that's not bad. I'll use that later. (laughs) Uh, Alan Howell Sr., Sidney Toler, Elijah Cook Jr., Vivian Blaine, Margaret Dermont, and Gene Parker, and the one that you don't know about, but I know that you're going to go bloody hell when I say it, Peter Cushing. (laughs) What? Honestly? (laughs) Yeah. That's yeah. our David Frost connection as well, but I'm going to go to do that. Bloody hell. That's amazing. <laughs> there you go. I knew you'd like that one. I left that one. I left that one. Oh, two of my favourite people. All, together, like all, 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 all linked together. <laughs> a few times Stan and Ali appeared together on TV. They were guests on the BBC show, hosted by band leader Henry Hall in 53. And in the following year, they were the subjects of This Is Your Life in America uh, in 1955 in what was to be their last engagement, of course, as we mentioned. It was on the BBC show, uh, BBC show uh, The Music Hall. Um, one of the things that Stan Lowell uh, they kind of stopped going out in public eye and the reason why Stan Lowell didn't pick up his lifetime achievement was because he was starting to look quite ill and he didn't want to go on stage because he didn't want his fans to see that he was ageing and he also didn't want to see his nieces and cousins see him it, 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 it is true because I, I remember I, you know I, I remember a, about five years ago I watched one of the very final and it, it, it's horrible but it was heartbreaking to watch him Doing the same old stick when you're thinking they're about maybe 60. Yeah, I mean, the thing is. It's a horrible thing to say, but it it shouldn't be. Well, I mean, their tours that they did uh, (coughs) around the world, especially in England and in Great Britain, was phenomenal success. It sold out every single night. People were queuing around the block to get these tickets. And that was when they retired from the screen. So they still had the English. It's just, of course, you never like to see the people you love getting old. It's like anything. No one likes to see them getting old, do they? Um, Now, there was a uh, cartoon. There's only one series of that, but there's a load of episodes. Um, the people who did the voice of this was Larry Harmon, did Stan, uh, Stan Lowell. Uh, he was mainly known for playing Bozo the Clown, which I think is more of an American thing. And Jim McGeorge played Oliver Hardy, and Jim actually had several roles in the 1977 sci-fi film, Star Wars. Did he? Yeah. Did he play that tonight? I don't know. Just like the background. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, there we go. So before we play any uh, listener comments, uh, you'll round up of Lowell and Hardy. Fantastic! Mm. It it it, it means it just it means a lot to me because when, when I was a kid, now you you're like me like this, where everyone else was out playing in in the garden or playing football or going out. I always always wanted to stop in and watch the TV, mm. so I always had a friend in Lauren Hardy, mm. and it, it, it just always you know especially when we were off on long holidays, it was always on. under oh, we have yeah. a thing in yeah. in Britain called the six weeks holiday, and when we were kids, they were always on, weren't they? Mm-hmm. There was at them and Will High films. Uh, you know, and, you know loads of stuff, and it was—it just—it's such a warm feeling. And it, you know, I, you know what I'm like. I like offensive comedy, cynical comedy, 
And I watch that now, and I still absolutely love it. Where it, there's nothing cynical about it, it's bad. Mm. Eh? No. There's not an offensive no. anything in it. No. It's so you could watch if you were a four-year-old kid, you'd laugh here enough at that now, wouldn't you? Oh, definitely. I mean, I remember when, as you, as you again, a good mention with the six-week holiday. Uh, my mum worked at uh, Collier's uh, when we were young, and in the six weeks, obviously, my dad was at work, couldn't be left at home because way too young. So we used to go to mum. We was allowed to go to mum and dad's work. Like a big car, car showroom. But there was an office, and this guy who um, uh, liked me, my bro. And he always had a TV in his office, which I thought was like, That's, yeah. you know, you're doing well in your business. Yeah. Yeah. And he always used to allow us, because he was always off on business, but he was allowed to sit in there. And he always used to put on Lauren and Hardy films. And I remember watching these Lauren and Hardy films and um, Harold Lloyd, which is a personal favourite. Yeah, you know, Harold I always Lloyd, wore yeah. glasses. Yeah. Um, we used to have to watch these beautiful comedies. Even my mum and dad's work, and it, well, my mum's work, and it was fantastic to actually go. You know, nobody's even got to go to mum's work, but to actually go there knowing that we was going to see all these beautiful comedies was brilliant. And I never got tired yeah. of them, I and I, know, I still don't get tired of no, them. No, it's why, and this is why there should there's, there's got to be a room on all these digital channels we've got in Britain and in America, and you've probably got loads in Australia as well and everywhere, mm. that they could put them on for new generation because kids will watch it, mm. not when they're up. You put that on for a 60 or 70 year old kid now, straight away, you'll go, I'm watching that, it's too old. Yeah. But if you bring them up with it. Oh, I plan on doing it, I plan on showing yeah, them now. It's you know. the most inoffensive comedy, so lovely. And a, a thing about friendship. Mm. Well, yeah, it's like, as we said on the last podcast, which is about planet train and automobiles, the reason why that is such a good film and won't be ever done again is because it is innocent and, and, and it's just a nice film. And you mentioned, was it Seth Rogen? Yeah. Uh, you know, that, the fact that it's, you know, he tries it up, but it's all just crude. Well, it, it, it tries it. It's like people go, go mad about Superbad, right? I thought, when I've, I've got Superbad, I thought, oh, it's going to be brilliant. Uh, about, you know, a bunch of, fr- about friendship. And it is about friendship, but then it turns into jokes about periods. And mm. So I go, well, you know, there is a place for that. But there's also a place just about friendship, like Stand By Me. Now give us the listener comments. Okay, yes, so MP3 comment now from Al. Hi, Meds. This is Al from Tales from the Mouse House podcast, recording live as opposed to not live from sunny Phoenix, Arizona. Well, you uh, you had solicited for comments on Laurel and Hardy. Um, don't know a whole lot about Laurel and Hardy other than the fact that uh, when I was a kid, my father and my uncle used to, uh, to watch whenever there was uh, old... Uh, reruns of uh, Laurel and Hardy shows on the television uh, they would sit and watch in fact I remember one time in particular uh, one of the local stations uh, back where I was growing up they they did um, a marathon of Laurel and Hardy movies and uh, shorts and things it lasted for quite a few hours I remember Uh, and uh, I remember at that point thinking you know this kind of comedy is pretty cool you know I love that kind of slapstick um, buddy buddy but you know their kind of love hate type relationship uh, comedy duo I thought it was great and in fact um, I believe that if it hadn't been for Laurel and Hardy groups uh, like uh, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis probably would have never uh, made the scene and uh, you know subsequent uh, types of comedy duos would have never uh, made it because Laurel and Hardy broke those, you know, broke those molds and broke that ground. Now I know Buster Keaton was doing things like that too, but I, I think that Laurel and Hardy brought a special brand of humor uh, to the to the viewing 
public. I, uh, I have fond memories of um, watching Laurel and Hardy with my father and my uncle. Um, so every time I see advertisements for Laurel and Hardy film or you know anything on the internet, anything to do with Laurel and Hardy, it always gives me that little heartwarming feeling of a fond memory. Now, um, I just wanted to let you guys know that I, I really and truly enjoy your Waffle On podcasts. Um, still not quite sure what Waffle On means, um, and to be honest with you, a lot of the things that uh, that you guys cover, um, I, you know, I'm not familiar with. But uh, I do give it a try. You know, like uh, like Black Adder and and things like that. Um, I have been um, diving into Doctor Who once again, but I got to tell you, um, even though. Uh, you know, over time, the the special effects got much better, and you know, perhaps the acting got a little bit better. My, I think my all-time favorite Doctor is is Tom Baker. Um, he was the very first one I I remember watching. Um, we used to have it uh, play on our PBS station out here in Arizona when I was in high school. And I remember watching it; it was great. Uh, keep up the great work, guys, uh, and I I enjoyed your your recent waffle on about planes, trains, and automobiles, one of my all-time favorite holiday movies. Sorry I didn't get a chance to get a comment into you on that one, but oh boy, I, I, was, I was so happy to see that you guys had done that. In fact, I would, uh, I would enjoy more of those types of uh, reviews from you guys. And in fact, what I think might be kind of cool is to take a British television or movie, a television series or a movie that was converted into uh, an American audience type thing and just compare it and see what it's like. What do you think? Huh? Come on, you know you want to do it. Well, thanks guys and uh, uh, cheers on, uh, on your great show and uh, I look forward to many great things from Waffle On in 2011. Thanks, Al. That's uh, uh, Al from uh, Towns. Graceland, Paul Simon. Maybe he's Chevy Chase. He looks yeah, old. Yeah, That's another classic person. <laughs> Chevy Chase. You don't look. You look at him now, and you don't look at him. Oh, do you? No, no, it's no, like no, oh, no. I don't want to think of him. I think of Fletch Lips. Oh, actually, yeah, actually, uh, yeah. Before going to that, uh, uh, thanks, Al. That's uh, Al from yeah, uh, uh, Alan good, Joyce yeah, from. Good, uh, House from the Mouse House. Um, just going back to Chevy Chase. Uh, on the podcast Film Sack, uh, Scott Johnson, who uh, who's a great podcaster, great cartoonist, he's interviewing uh, Rusty from uh, uh, Is he? Uh, National Lampoon's European B&B, somewhere in Utah. Mm, anyway, um, so we got an email from, uh, email from uh, our good friend uh, uh, from the show, Neil Morgan, uh, and this is his email. Uh, hopefully I'll do it just as we know. Hi, I love Lauren Hardy. When I was in college, I went to the Lauren Hardy Museum in Alverson. We should go there. Uh-huh. Uh, I remember watching the great duo so many times as a child. In fact, I recently showed my seven-year-old the music box now the music box um, is one of the is the classic slapstick style comedy, isn't it? With I think it's a, that's what they won the Oscar for, wasn't it? I believe so. Yeah, the one that that was their only radio critical mm. success, which seems weird. And those, never, those steps are still there, but you know, all the things they never won. They didn't win. Like, they, they were the proper populist, though, weren't they? Yeah. I don't think the critics. I don't know what the critics thought of them. I think they probably thought they were a bit stupid, didn't they? Mm. But that is an amazing. I know it's purely. Yeah. Vis- it's not the cleverest one they did no. but my god is it funny oh god it is yeah oh it is because you, you know <laughs> you know what have a Every- lot to be, uh, everyone's do you remember this happened to me you and our friend Kevin <laughs> yeah. trying to get a settee up a stairs <laughs> do you remember oh. a whole day oh god smashing it and we still couldn't do it we had to get the drill in the end to drill it up do you remember I do remember that do you yeah. remember that we were smashing it up and yeah. we couldn't get it down the stairs could we? we leave it and went out we left it in the end <laughs> 
And that, I thought, yeah, it's just like that. Everyone's in this situation like that. Thinking, oh, no, I've got to get up these stairs. <laughs> uh, yes, I, uh, yeah, Neil, uh, showed my seven-year-old the music box, and she loved it. It is timeless. She was engrossed for the whole 20 minutes. Uh, the kicking up the backside, the falling in ponds, the carrying the piano up and down, and it's sliding down all those stairs. It's just brilliant. In fact, many years ago, one morning after the night before, here we go, this was it, uh, I was with two friends, and the conversation moved on to Lauren Hardy. For two hours, we reminisced about them resulting in, drunken, in a drunken weekend in London, watching hours of their shorts and films. The amount of times we, uh, we ran the scenes in way out west. I've just found the box set on Amazon, uh, all the retailers are available. I think I've seen most of them. Favourites are, of course, Way at Rest, uh, Big Business, Another Fine Mess, The Prison Stories, The Foreign Legion films with Ali Mustafa. I love the Foreign Legion. Well, really not realising it was his own, that's brilliant. And two men to know how many comedies could have you rolling about because of comedy involving, uh, involving a missing jigsaw piece? Uh, the supporting cast, of course, Jim Blimp. Uh, James Finlayson, bonkers with the squint and able to go bonkers at the drop of a hat. May Bush, the send of so many great stories and Walter Long as the villain in so many. You cannot turn on a film or TV without seeing that impact. No Laura Hardy, you get no Airplane, no Mr Bean or no Monty Python. I look forward to the podcast, uh, gents, as always. I may even email some more comments you have sent me off. I'm going to go and save my pages and buy the DVD box set before going to deke up the Laura Hardy books. I have. Cheers from Neil. Very good. I'll tell you what was also big into him. He's Ricky Javai. Yeah. Definitely yeah. is. I know oh, he well, Martin Freeman with the double take on the office. Definitely. It's it's still, it? Even though it's so long ago and people wouldn't believe it, it's, it's still in comedy. Oh, gosh, Physical yeah. comedy, it just, it just is, isn't it? Uh, Lee, um, Lee, uh, Lee Evans. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I know people go on about that he's been Norman Wisdom. Mm. I thought it's just as Norman is... Wisdom took it from Stan Laurel. Yeah. yeah, oh yeah, he did, yeah. He just, yeah. He just yeah. did, yeah. with the look, the innocent look. The innocent look, the innocent, yeah, yeah. Um, now that DVD which I've got is a huge box set that you can get hold of, really worth it's money. Really At the moment, it's only about £30. I know, so you can get most stuff really cheap. Right. Right. Uh, let's have an MP3 comment from Dan Hughes, who presents Lee and Dan's Midnight Movie Club. Hi, this is Dan, one half of Lee and Dan's Midnight Movie Club, and I just thought I'd um, send you some thoughts on Lauren Hardy, basically. Um, I don't know about you two guys, but I used to watch, uh, the way I kind of got introduced to Lauren Hardy, really, was watching them on BBC Two during the summer holidays when I was, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, maybe. Um, they used to show a, a different short every single day, and, and also some Sergeant Bilko as well, which is another show which you guys should do, because it's absolutely stunning, uh, stunningly funny. Um, but Lauren Hardy, yeah, I used to watch them on, on the summer holidays, and uh, just fell in love with them, really. Um, very much kind of the slapstick was hit the spot, you know, to a 12-year-old boy. And uh, and certainly I've got a four-year-old son now and, and me and him watch Lauren Hardy together now and again and, and he finds it absolutely hilarious when they fall down and things like that. It doesn't quite get the uh, some of the more subtle stuff and, and you know, not sure you can really call Lauren Hardy that subtle, but, you know, the kind of character-driven stuff. But, um... But he loves the, the the hitting each other in the face and, uh, and and kind of bashing each other with planks of wood and things like that. And to be fair, it's not really that fair to to call Lauren Hardy not subtle because because now as an adult, the thing I really appreciate is the kind of the interplay between the characters and, and like many of the best. Uh, I don't know, many of the best double acts, um, they've got a wonderful formula there, and they've got one stupid one, which is obviously uh, Stan Laurel, and then one stupid one that actually thinks they're clever, which is Oliver Hardy. And there's no straight man there. I mean, much like Eric and Ernie, uh, you know, Malcolm and Wise, there's no straight man there. They're both hilariously funny. One is kind of more obviously funny than the other, but the other one's an ex- exceptionally talented comedian as well, and, and they kind of play off each other rather than just kind of one hogs the limelight. And, and that's just wonderful. And the kind of the, the sweetness and the, and the 
I don't know, the innocence between them both is lovely. You know, the, the fact they share a bed and, it's, it, you know, there's, there's no question of any kind of sexuality there at all, is there? It's just an innocent, childlike um, comedy and it's just beautiful, really. Um, I think I think it's probably one of the, 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 the few kind of comedy double acts you could call beautiful. I think I think Eric and Ernie are, are similar in, in that kind of... And they used to share a bed as well, thinking about it. So, um, so yeah... Uh, Laurel, of course, was the the brains behind the outfit. He was the um, the kind of person who led the team, as it were. Certainly, creatively, he he um, was re- responsible for writing many of the gags and and kind of responsible for for kind of crafting uh, the Laurel and Hardy. Uh, not brand because it's not a brand really, but the the, the Laurel and Hardy uh, school of doing things basically, and, and the characters and the, the relationship between the two characters. And Oliver Hardy took a a sort of backseat to that but um still was very involved in the process um uh, and uh, as i say a very talented comedian um but but laurel was the, the driving force and he was obviously um a North, northerner i think he was even yorkshireman uh, which 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 is very pleasant to me um but he was um a northern from northern england and he uh he went to america originally along with charlie chaplin acting as his understudy um, he went on the same boat as Chaplin. I don't know how long he was actually Chaplin's understudy for, but it's interesting, isn't it, how these kind of great two great icons uh, kind of converge, really. And, and you know, I suppose they would do. They were moving in the same circles in the same genre, but it's just yeah, you just don't think of it, do you? Um, especially not early on in their careers. The other thing that was quite interesting about Lauren and Hardy is that um, the, the kind of contracts they had with the studios, and it doesn't sound particularly interesting, but, but the studios were very cunning in that they, you know, Lauren and Hardy had a, a very good relationship with each other and wanted to carry on as a double act. There was never any kind of question of them splitting up, really. Um, but the, con- the contract the, the boys were on was kind of uh, staggered. If Oliver Hardy wanted to leave the studio and carry on with his work with Stan, um, he'd have to wait till Stan's contract was up, which was two years away. And then when Stan's contract, so he had, obviously he signed another contract in order that he could earn and make money in that time. And then Stan's contract comes up again. Stan had to wait two years until Oliver's um, contract was up. So this kind of staggered rolling contract meant that they didn't really work for any other studios other than the Hal Roach studios. Uh, ultimately, eventually, kind of Laurel fell out with Hal Roach, and and uh, and they went on to work with MGM, I think, um, and. I'm not sure if they worked with Fox. I'm not even sure if Fox was around them. But certainly I know they went on to work with MGM. Um, but they didn't have the creative control they had under Roach. And, and those films were slightly worse quality. I mean, they're still excellent, but slightly worse quality. So, so you know, I, I could go into kind of specific films. Uh, there's the, the classic one. I can't remember what it's called, but the one where they're moving the piano up the stairs. That's often felt to be the, the best uh, Lauren Hardy film. My personal favourite is Toad in the Hole, I think it's called, where they renovate a, a boat and you know they fill it up with water to check where the leaks are and you know lots of turning around and hitting each other with the uh, masts and uh, painting each other and uh, it's just just hilarious hilarious and that's the one that me and my son watch together most of all and and the one we, we enjoy to be honest and then there's there's another one in a sawmill as well i mean there's thousands of them isn't there there's the uh the kids one where they they play younger versions their own children and that, that's hilarious and the ships there's just there's just Ultimately, there's not, there's rarely a duff one in there, and and that's the beauty of it, really. And you know what you're going to get, and what you're going to get is exceptionally good quality comedy, um, and it still stands up today. That's the thing. I mean, Chaplin, I'm not a massive Chaplin fan to be honest, and I think he loses something in the uh, in in time. But but Lauren Hardley are absolutely timeless, absolutely timeless. So 
yeah, that they're my thoughts. They're my thoughts on Lauren Hardy. Um, I, I hope that's okay for you. Um, thanks very much for the podcast, guys. It's excellent. I've, I've really been enjoying it. And uh, I've downloaded various back issues and, and I'm making my way through those as well. Um, so thanks a lot. Uh, thanks for having me on. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers, Dan. Very good. Yes. What is it called? Midnight Move? Did they do it at midnight? No, it's just the name of their podcast. Oh. Very good as well. I downloaded loads of their episodes. Uh, okay, so here's an email from John Collins. John Collins has, of course, always, uh, has been in touch before. Hi, lads. I thought I'd share my thoughts on Lauren Hardy, who are quite simply the best double act of all time. I've got a box set uh, with most of their work on it, and it does get a bit of a hammering. I remember showing my old videos to my daughter when she was five. See... What you said earlier on about showing the kids when they're young. It's important. Yeah, and she absolutely loved them. One thing I I have noticed, though, is that when they're setting up the joke, you generally know what will happen when it does. It's still funny. One thing I don't like is the colourised versions. There's absolutely no need for them, in my opinion. Keep up the great work. I'm just off to watch (laughs) Toad in the Hole. Fresh, please. Uh, All the best. John Collins from Pontefract. Why on earth would you watch them colour versions? I don't care that... you know, it's so good now it can get the natural... They were made in black and white. Yeah, I know. You know what I watched um, on TV? It was on Channel 5 the other day. Scrooge, the Alistair Sim version, which I absolutely love. And I got my mum to tape it because I was away. And she gave me the disc and I put it on and it was the colour version. That's terrible. It just don't look right. It was almost as bad as I, I taped the Police Academy on, uh, on TV about 3 o'clock in the morning. I love Police Academy. It's a guilty pleasure. Went to watch it. It was the, it was the so, signed version. <laughs> Oh, that happens to me. Oh. And, uh, yeah, no, my girlfriend would go, just ignore it. You I can't. can't. No, I mean, can't. I've got nothing against it. It's fantastic that they do that for people. Yeah, you I can't think. ignore it. I was going to say for people who are blind. What's the point in that? <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, now then. Cal. It's the news. <laughs> well, basically, I'm going to talk about... Only quickly... Oh, talk you said basically really loud there, you don't like that. Let's get my phone to Basically, I want to talk about... Uh, I know this has been um, started in the States, I think, about three weeks ago. Uh, I was telling you about it, wasn't I? It's mm-hmm. about a, a programme called um, No Ordinary Family. And um, I just think... I'd, to me, I, I like a good superhero drama. Mm. I'm not a comic book fan, as you know, but I love superhero films. Mm. I loved... Well, I didn't love... I loved the two series of heroes. Then it went really bad. Yeah. To me, oh, no ordinary family. I don't know where it's going to go, and I don't know how far they are in America. I'd like someone, to, if someone could get back in touch with me on Facebook, especially people in the States who see how far you are into it and tell me what, how it's going. But I watched the first two, two episodes, and it, it's absolutely brilliant. And yet again, it's something I thought I'd never say. It's quite light in tone. Mm. Now, you know me, I like dark tone mm. stuff. Mm. And then when it come on, I thought, oh, it's going to be really... It's going to be really saccharine. And it's just really good because it stars Michael Chilkley and he, at The Shield, the best cup, cup show ever, he's the producer of it as well. Oh. And when I'm thinking, he put a load of his own money into that show. You know, I find it funny the fact that he's in a superhero TV programme because then he played the thing in Fantasy Well, I'm not being funny. He doesn't, it's near enough to say. It's near enough to say. And I've only watched the first two episodes and any, anyone who hasn't watched it in, in Britain... Uh, or probably in the, it's probably going to go all over the world mm. I thought he had a really promising start so that's my big people like anyone in the States who wants to get back to me on Facebook if you want to friend request me and talk to me and tell me how it's going in America because yeah. I'm going to start watching it and by the time I start watching it it gets cancelled because it's happened to me with a few things it's available over here on uh, the digital channel what, uh, watch so watch yeah. what, what is really that weird. why don't Channel 4 have it you fools you fools because Heroes was popular yeah, that's I, I, you know I know by the end of it went rubbish but it was still had one and a half million people watching it by the end I know it went <laughs> no, up it's own shit. it went up it's own arse and interestingly you know the, the writer Tim yeah. uh, Tim Krings was it or yeah, Tim Frings yeah. or Krings 
I read a really good interview with him talking about that, mm. and he said he never wanted to do that many. Uh-huh. He said he had an idea for doing ten episodes a series. Mm. He said every time he come in, they were giving him twenty four episodes. He said, "What can you do with twenty four well, episodes?" I, I think that's that's why we we've got the right idea when we do our new TV programs. That of course we only have generally a maximum of twelve episodes. Normally, only six episodes per series. And you're going to go... I mean, I mean someone commissioned 24 episodes for TV series. I think it's stupid. Because you're not giving the, 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 the whole thing a chance. But it, it doesn't give it... I, I think as well, it doesn't leave you wanting more. No. You, or you end up thinking, I don't want as much. That's what I find. When you have, I love American thing. And I love... Ten episodes, I think, are good. Mm. Doctor Who over there, I've got it back right, haven't yeah. I? mean, is that ten? Uh, no, there's 13, but what this new, this new year, of course, I split them in half. So you've got six episodes, and then you've got another seven episodes later on. That would you a way of doing them? Brilliant. You know, six sometimes <laughs> is not enough. But 24 episodes of every series, mm. and there was, what, about four series of things. You're thinking, what the hell went on for nearly yeah. 100 episodes? Yeah, you just lose track. It was all done in the first episode. You're using the, the name there, episodes. <coughs> uh, new TV story last night, uh, done by the creators of Friends and starring Matt LeBlanc, uh, called Episodes. Uh, your thoughts? I thought it was Boyd Hilton saw about this earlier. I thought it was really good because they were saying on Twitter again, mm. everyone was going that saying how rubbish it was, that mm. there weren't enough jokes in it. I thought, well, sometimes sometimes it's not laugh a minute, is it? It's not meant exactly, to be to and it's like Boyd Hilton was saying, who's a big fan of it, was saying sometimes you can have, you know, there's all the thing in it, the thing called comedy drama. Mm. It is possible. We mm-hmm. like we did our thing the same pet. Yeah. That was really funny, but a lot of the time it weren't funny. No. No. You don't always have to be funny. No. You sometimes can have the dark to make the light even funnier. Especially as well as last night was the very first episode, so you've got to set up the characters. Yeah. You need I, to I know what, a lot of people minutes. are saying if it was done in the States, you probably would have, they would have done that in 10 minutes. But it is, it's a, it's a, it's yeah. a HBO thing. No, it was done by right. But you know, it was, only fil- it was all filmed in Pinewood. Oh, was it really? Yeah. Where did we get that son? I've got no idea. <laughs> well, good to see Matt LeBlanc back on TV. He's looking good, the old silver fox. And I reckon he's brilliant. Because he started the same time in the States, yeah. didn't he, last yeah, yeah. night? So, uh, and, um, hey, sit, let us know what you think. Yeah, de- so, definitely. Because so. I know they said he gets really good in it, Matt LeBlanc. He? He's really good well, in it. I can't wait. And I think uh, Matthew Perry's new TV show in America starts soon. And I think it's called Little Miss Sunshine. Not Little Miss Sunshine. Is that going to be another show that gets cancelled? You're not going to talk about the David Swimmer. Talk about things. Uh, like about the David Paul Flying Man. Oh, David Schwimmer. Brilliant bit of David Schwimmer. Anybody search on YouTube. I'm not going to go into it now because we run out of time. But uh, go onto YouTube. Type in Come Fly With Me and uh, David Schwimmer. And it's a brilliant It's a series. classic really He's brilliant. David Schwimmer. You He's really brilliant. We're, big, we're big Ross we're fans big, anyway. We're big Ross fans, yeah. Uh, definitely go do friends if I can. Yeah, um, yeah Christmas has just been Christmas TV once again over here in Britain was absolutely Absolute. pants apart from uh, uh, two things I mentioned Doctor Who I'm not going to go into details but I loved it you weren't a great yeah, fan no, but no. you don't like I Christmas, don't Christmas specials and stuff so. uh, and, but I think the best TV programme I have seen in years well documentary docudrama I suppose was Eddie Canoni the story of Morecambe and Wise which you Watching haven't it. seen yet Watching it tonight great so we're going to talk about that next month but I will say that if that doesn't earn a BAFTA fever yeah, and that's good as give me to me because I'm, I'm not a massive Eric and Ernie fan. Mm. I, I was no, too, I, know you, I was no. too on his man. Yeah, but and, I think you're like. But it. I've heard only positive things about mm. it, and it's got ah man, Vic Reeves in it, hasn't it? Mm. You said he's brilliant, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. Now, uh, let's talk about what we're going to uh, record next week. Now, I don't know whether... Next month, sorry. Uh, <laughs> now, I don't know whether we're going to do this or we're going to do uh, a British thing or are we going to do the Australian film. Australian film, isn't it? Okay, so we're going to be doing uh, the film... 
Chopper. Yay, the uh, Australian cult classic independent yep. film starring Eric Bana. We've also got uh, going to have a comment from our friends Stefan and Phoenix Sornock, uh, who are Australian. So we're going to get the Australians' point of view for that. Brilliant. Yeah. And that's what we said. This is what this podcast is going to be now. It's basically going to be like this. Whatever we make up, we're going to do it. Yep, we are. Um, we just fancied we mentioned Chopper the other day, so we're going to do Chopper. Because we're, we're big fans of that film. And then after that, we're going to be doing Dad's Army. Because we've, we've been muting that for a good while. Well, we? I just think it need, I need to get it right, and I want to try and get hold of, uh, maybe try and do a 15-minute interview with uh, James oh, Rockliffe, yeah, yeah. who's a presenter of the wonderful Dad's Army podcast. So, um, yeah, that's a heads-up to James there. Um, so, brilliant, Lauren Hardy done. Uh, we're going to play some promos now, and then we're going to be playing Trial of the Lonesome Pine afterwards, which, of course, if that don't make you smile, then I won't. Well, Kemp, thanks for joining me as usual. Well, I'm in my own house. Yeah, I'm going to have you go because I'm going to go what climb? You go to club with a bad back. <laughs> with a really bad back. I am in actual agony at the moment. <laughs> I really am in pain. And uh, I really wish I didn't have to do it. But still, I open my mouth and I have to one of these things. Uh, so thanks for joining us, member. Leave us feedback on iTunes. We're desperate for them. And uh, we'll see you next month. Take care. Bye bye. Tati bye. <laughs> Hello, I'm Dan and this is Lee. Hello. And together we are Lee and Dan's Midnight Movie Club. You see, every week we come together and we review classic popcorn movies of the 80s and the 90s. <laughs> For example, so far we've reviewed Teen Wolf. Which is great. Teen Wolf 2. Which was awful. The Last Starfighter. Which was great. Cannonball Run. Awful. Army of Darkness. Awesome. <laughs> Police Academy. Mission to Moscow. Not so awesome. Worst film in the history of mankind. And Pee-wee's Big Adventure. The second worst film in the history of mankind. So if you want to hear more of our highly intelligent, uh, incisive film critique, come over to midmoclub.com. That's M-I-D-M-O club.com. And check out our podcast. Or you could just type Midnight Movie Club into iTunes if you have iTunes. Yes. If you don't have it, it'll be harder. That's right. So we'll hope we'll uh, you'll listen to us soon. Uh, to be fair, though, I quite like Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Well, you're an idiot. If you like a good science fiction story, then you'll like The Martians Are Here podcast by Australian author Stefan Sonnen. The Martians Are Here podcast is a science fiction serial around 15 minutes per podcast episode set in the not-too-distant future. It's a story about two alien species from very different origins who bring their ongoing war to Earth with disastrous consequences for humanity. told through the eyes of five people who must piece together what's going on in order to survive. This is what happens when biology, technology, and adaptability collide. The Martians Are Here podcast on iTunes and on themartiansarehere.com. Hello, I'm Meds. You're not Meds. (laughs) And I'm Kel. You're not Kel either. I don't even sound like him, do I? I'm trying to. Yeah, I'm sound not like sure. the Geico lizard. Yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to do that. Anyway, hey, we love Waffle On. Waffle On's fun. I just love the podcast. Meds and Kel, you're so cool. By the way, this is Rick. And this is Amy, and we are the hosts of Take Him With You. It's the weekly podcast where we discuss our geeky Moyer home. 
Yes, we are geeky. And we're really fun, though. We talk about our faith and how it relates to the world around us. And I absolutely love Star Trek and heavy metal music. It's just too much fun. And I tolerate Star Trek and don't like heavy metal music at all. (laughs) What do you like? I like reading and quiet music and home and garden TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You like some of British sci-fi stuff, right? You know, I do like some sci-fi. I, I really do, but um, just I'm not as passionate about it as you are. That's okay. We lived we've lived together for 24 years, and uh, it's okay. Opposites attract, and we're still we're we're still married, eh? Yeah. Eh? Yeah. That's Canadian. That's not English. Oh well. I say we go have a cup of tea. In, indeed. Indeed. Indubitably. Indubitably. I can't even say that. You do like tea, though. I do like tea. Yes. Earl Grey. Hot. Well, anyway, if you get a chance to listen to our podcast, do so. It's at takehimwithyou.com, or you can find us on iTunes. Just look up Take Him With You. And you can hit the little subscribe button, and it's free. Yep. So thanks, Meds and Kel. Have a great day, and uh, thanks for uh, letting us do our promo. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Tea time. Yeah. Hi, Russell. Are you like Mommy? Are you doing a podcast? Podcast. Podcast. Good boy. That is pretty much the cutest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) Podcast. Anomaly. Something that deviates from what is standard, normal, or expected. An oddity. Peculiarity. Irregularity. Inconsistency. Incongruity. A rarity. I'm Jen. And I'm Angela. And we're the socially functional co-hosts of Anomaly. The podcast with a unique perspective, a female perspective on all things geek. Star Trek. Star Wars. Lord of the Rings. Buffy. Firefly. Gaming. Books. Costuming. And general geek topics. The sometimes monthly, but always entertaining, Anomaly Podcast. Anomalypodcast.com. Hi, this is Kenny. And this is Jenny. We're the hosts of Knights of the Guild, the official fan podcast for the award-winning web series, The Guild. We're not like your typical fan podcasts. Both Jenny and I have worked on several seasons of The Guild and take our listeners behind the scenes to share our fun and crazy times on set. We also have exclusive interviews with cast, crew, and fans of The Guild. We keep you up to date on general Guild news and the latest happenings of our cast and crew. So please give us a listen on iTunes or at knightsoftheguild.com. On a mountain in Virginia stands a lonesome pine. Just below is the cabin home of a little girl of mine. My name is June and very, very soon she'll belong to me. For I know she's waiting there for me neath that lone pine tree in the blue ridge mountains of Virginia on the trail of the lonesome pine in the pale moonshine our hearts entwine where she carved her name and I carved mine or two oh, 
for June Just like, like the, the mountains are blue Like the pine I am lonesome for you In the In the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia, on the trail of the lonesome pine, in the pale moonshine, our hearts entwine, where she carved her name and I carved mine, oh June, like the mountains I'm blue, like the pine, I am lonesome for you. Virginia on the trail of the lonesome pine. 